Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by Pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. Join us each week as we dive into the timeless wisdom of Scripture, exploring Jesus' message of love, hope, and faith that unites us all. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this week's service. All right, I want you to close your Bibles. Now, that's a weird way to start a sermon, right? You got your attention? What's going on here? Uh, but no, you got you to close your Bibles. We're going to start with a, with, a little, uh, with a little quiz. My goal is to, is to not make you feel proud or shameful, depending on how you do in the quiz. Either, either way is bad. We already sang, check your shame at the door. So check your shame at the door. I don't want you to feel proud or shameful, but just, just want just to wanna ask a question that risks both. So you can grab a pen and an unused Connect card, maybe, if you want, or you just got to get your hands out, um, because I want to give you just a minute, um, without looking at your Bibles, to name, and don't name it out loud, because again, we're not going for pride or shame. We want to just think, how many of the disciples can you name just by memory? So just go ahead and write, start writing them down or counting them out on your fingers and see, uh, see how many you get. get to 12. I didn't get to 12, to be honest. I, and I included a, a guy or two that wasn't actually in there. So <laughs> don't feel shameful. Don't feel proud. If you, if, you, if you got 12, you're like, I know more than the pastor. I'm going to a different church where the pastor knows more than me. So, um, uh, so there's a lot, of, there's a lot of, uh, of, of the 12 disciples that we don't hear a lot about. There's a few of the disciples we hear a fair amount about. Why? Well, the story is not really about the disciples, right? The story is about Jesus. And, and we want to focus on that as we look at this fall about following. What does it mean to be a follower? Uh, we've looked at that in general for three weeks in September, and now we're looking at different people that followed. So we looked at Barnabas, we looked at the woman Priscilla, and, uh, and we're going to spend a few weeks with, uh, with Peter. Uh, but there was 12 of them, and and I would love to know more about Bartholomew. Did you get Bartholomew? He's in that list. Like, oh, what did you see, Bartholomew? What do you know? And, and, uh, and, and, and in heaven, we can, we can ask those questions, but on earth, we don't. And so, um, so, the, so there's 12 of them, and we're going we're gonna to read them. Um, my question is, you know, how many, how many did you get right? And, and here's, here's the list. In Matthew chapter 10... It's been a little bit of a crazy week, so I don't think these are going to be on the, on, the, on the screen. But if you have your Bible, 796, if you go back a few pages to Matthew 10, uh, there's the, here's the list. But here's the list in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 10. Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot are, are the 12. Now, the list is also in Mark chapter 3. I'm just going to read all three accounts. Mark 3, verse 16. They are listed again. 
These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name uh, Boisgenes, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then in Luke chapter 6, they are listed as well. And so we'll read Luke 6, verse 14, where it says, Then Jesus, nope, oh, oh, that's Luke 5, 14, that's why it's wrong. Luke 6, 14, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So you'll notice some things. How many of them could you name? I'll be, be curious to know. When you named them, who came first in your mind? Was it Peter? Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It, we've talked the last few weeks about how important lists are in the Bible, that it's a big deal. Who's listed first and who's listed second? Anytime there's a list in the Bible, it's a, it's a big deal. And all three times, Peter is listed first. Two out of the three times, Andrew is listed second. It seems because Andrew is his brother. So there were brothers. John, or it's, uh, yeah, Mark seems to list it in the order of those closest to Jesus, which, as you read the Gospels, is Peter, James, and John. It's no accident that Judas Iscariot is always listed last. And you'll see Thomas flips in order with Matthew in a couple different ones, which would be interesting to ask. Why did, why did you list it that way? There, there seems to be maybe some disagreement um, about Thomas and Matthew. And then Thaddeus appears in two, but his name is Judas in the third. And why is that? Well, we'll talk about that in Sunday school. That's the teaser for Sunday school after church here. But Peter is listed first in all three accounts. Peter becomes the leader of the church, we'll find out. A few things I want you to think about the next few weeks as we discuss Peter was, Peter was, was willing to speak first. And his words were often wrong. Peter was willing to take action, and his actions were often somewhat misguided. His words were often wrong, but not always, for sure, not always. And his actions were often misguided, but not completely, by, by no means not completely, Peter made many mistakes. Peter got many things right. And God placed him as the leader of his church. Think about mistakes. Often we kind of live our life with the goal to avoid mistakes. It allows us to, or it drives us to live kind of safe, risk-free lives. In order to make mistakes, you have to be secure in who you are. And you have to be secure in the depth of God's love for you. That if I succeed or fail... I still have a place at God's table. God loves me and cares for me. That the people around me are still going to love me and not just discard me. You have, to be, you have to be secure in who you are and in the depth of God's love for you. And Peter seems to have had that. And when you make mistakes in order to receive forgiveness, you have to be willing to change your beliefs and your actions. Is Peter willing to change his beliefs and his actions? We'll find out that he does. As we look at the book of Matthew today, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. So this section really starts then. So 796 is Matthew 14. If you flip back a few, 
We're just going to look in, in the book of Matthew and look at what's happening that leads up to Peter jumping out of the boat trying to walk across water. Matthew 5, 18 uh, to... Um, oh, sorry. Like I said, it's been... It's been a little bit of a crazy week. It's Matthew 4, actually. Matthew 4, 18. Jesus, um, Jesus calls the disciples. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in September. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, so you can picture this, a beautiful lake. Jesus is walking. He saw, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So just, just picture that day. They're fishing, they're doing their job, and Jesus walks by. We talked a few weeks ago, this, this wasn't their first encounter with Jesus. It also was very unusual for a rabbi to call fishermen to follow him. And, and when he said those words, come follow me, Peter and Andrew uh, took action, which is very normal for Peter, it seems. Like he's not afraid to, to take action. And so they drop their nets and they, they leave their jobs and they go and follow him. And as you read on, so did James and John, the four, the four that were closest to Jesus. And then in Matthew 5, you see the Sermon on the Mount. There's this really beautiful and very challenging sermon uh, that is preached. And then in Matthew chapter 8, you start to see Jesus healing many people. They start to see lots of miracles happen, signs that this is the Messiah, that when God shows up, things are made right. In a poignant passage, especially for us this week in Matthew 8, Jesus' mother walks into Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and Jesus touches her hand, and the fever lefts her, leaves her. And so in a very personal way, Peter sees people made whole, and Jesus' power and, and, and might. And you see stories of healing. And then you get to Matthew chapter 10, and in my Bible, 10 verse 1, it says, Jesus sends out the 12. They've seen all this, the teaching, the healing, and he sends the 12 out to go and do the work of Jesus. And, and they do, and Peter does that. He is one of them. He's mentioned there in, in chapter 10, verse 2. And then in verse chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13, you get some more teaching, some more very challenging teaching for the people. And as Matthew lays out the story, this is all leading up to this day on the lake when Peter walks on the water. In Matthew 14, there's a really stark heading above my, in my Bible and most likely in yours, John the Baptist beheaded. That's, I mean, those are loaded words. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, his relative, his close friend, is executed by Herod, the power and authority of Rome. And Jesus is, is moved. This is somebody he knows intimately. And this is, this is really tragic. And Jesus seems very human as he was fully human and fully divine in John 14. When Jesus heard, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately in a solitary place. A lot of us know what this is like. You get that gut punch of grief and you just want to just get away by yourself. Very, very human. Now, Jesus' day wasn't going to go as planned. He wanted to go by himself and just, just deal with this situation and spend time with his Father God. But when he got to this place, people came, all kinds of people. It's kind of like one of those days. We've all had those days where we just want to get away. You're just like, 
I just got to get the kids down for a nap. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's the day, of course, they don't nap or you just got so much going on. Like I finally get time at my house and then somebody calls and you're like, oh, today I just don't have space for that. But then, you know, the kid smiles at you and your heart melts and you're like, okay. Or, or it's a friend that you really love that's going through some stuff and you're like, no, it's okay. I got time for you. And it seems that's Jesus's reaction because all these people come wanting something from him. And in 1414, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. He saw their, their hurt and their need and he said, I'm going to make space right now for you. But Jesus still was dealing with this deep grief of John the Baptist dying. And, and so in verse 25, after Jesus then, this is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 with, with bread and fish. And, and this miracle happens. And, and Jesus has this compassion. And can you imagine, and I want to talk about this a fair amount today. When you read these stories, I want you to try to imagine what you're feeling and what you're seeing and what you're tasting and, and what you're taking, taking in and what was the body language and tone of voice. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but it gives us clues into what it might be. But you can imagine being on a mountain and there's a few loaves of bread and fish and 5,000 people have so much food, there's baskets left over. There's joy. There's joy. There's energy. There's amazement. I would imagine the conversation is loud. Like, did you see? Did you see? Is this what happened? And, and Jesus is in the midst of kind of this deep, deep grief, but he gives space for a party and some joy, uh, a picture of the resurrection. And, and he he gives this wonderful picture, and then immediately it says in verse 22, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowd. Why? Jesus needed to be by himself. He's still like, I got to deal with the heaviness of what I, what I know happened. And I almost picture it, now I don't know this, this is just Dave speculating, that he was maybe hoping the crowd would follow the boat, so he made the boys get in the boat. He's like, you guys go now, get in the boat and go. And I kind of think he's hoping like, everybody go follow them, Now I'll tell everybody to go home, and then he goes, he goes uh, to try um, to get away. And as you read in the scriptures, he does. He does in fact get away. It, his plan works he gets some time to just deal with this grief and what, what's happening, especially with John the Baptist and his family. And, and he spends uh, the night alone. And then the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he goes to find the disciples. And he sent them across the lake, and a storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, which happens quite a bit. And they're rowing all night, and they're not getting anywhere. And it's a, it's a storm, and Jesus just decides to... To, to walk across uh, the water. The one who created the universe can suspend the laws of the universe, and he walks across the water to go with the God, to find the disciples. And, and again, we don't have a lot of clues of body language and tone of voice and all those things, but it's really clear in March four, Mark four, Matthew 14. When they saw Jesus walking across the water, they were terrified. And no matter where you are around the world, the terrified expression is all the same. Everybody knows what a terrified expression was. And it, it, totally, it totally makes sense that they were terrified. And then Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Words that are said throughout the Bible when people encounter God. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. I am with you. I am, I am for you. And then we find Peter, the one who speaks a lot and acts a lot. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. 
And again, we don't have maybe all the words. Maybe these were all the words that were said. It's recorded in Matthew that Jesus just says, Come, come, Peter, come to me. And Peter gets out on the water, and he starts to walk across the water. And then he sees the waves, and he realizes the craziness of what's happening in verse 30. And he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches his hand and saves him. And this is the interesting line. You have little faith, why did you doubt? Now, when you read that line, how is that line delivered? I think that's, I think that's really important, and the Bible doesn't really tell us, but I do think it gives us some clues. How do you fill it in? What was his facial expression right? What was his tone of voice like? As you think about it, you're going to fill in these stories with the authority figures that you know. So if you're reading this, and right now there's a really good chance maybe somewhere in Italy at a service just like this, they're talking about this passage, and and people in Italy would have thought of Jesus as an Italian authority figure. If you're in Kenya, they would have thought of Jesus as an Kenyan authority figure. If you're in Russia, they would think of Jesus as a Russian authority figure. I think of Jesus as a Midwesterner from the United States. That's just my bent of like, ah, I know how authority figures act. I've seen them my, my whole life. And more even specifically than a, a Midwesterner from the United States, it would, be, it would be your parents. It would be your Sunday school teachers. It would be your pastors. It would be your, your school teachers. How would they have responded? Your bent is to think, well, that's how Jesus would have responded. It may or may not be, be correct, but we have to know we always bring ourselves to the text. We're not living in, in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. So, so we have to look for some, for some clues. Did Jesus have disgust in his voice? For some of us, that's how we read it, because that's how we were, we were raised. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Or did Jesus have disappointment in his voice? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Or did Jesus have encouragement and compassion in his voice? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, did his voice go up or down at the end of that sentence? It's important. When Cor- I didn't talk to Corliss about this at all, but you notice when she read it, it her voice went up at the end. Uh, Was he loud and brash? Was he gentle and firm? What clues do we have from the text? Well, one of them is in Matthew 14, 14. When he saw the crowds, when he was trying to be alone and he saw their need, he had compassion on them. This is is Jesus' bent, is to have compassion on people. Paul would write these words, that God is the father of compassion. Now, when you think of authority figures, do you think of compassionate people? Well, for some, yes. For some, no. Some of us, I think we have to rewire that to think, well, man, it's hard for me to picture God as a compassionate person because a lot of my authority figures were far from compassionate. In the Midwest, that that's, tends to be the, the case. I would, I would say that we're stereotyping, but if you're 60, 70, 80, yeah, that, there wasn't a lot of compassionate authority figures from the stories that I've heard. And, and you have to do some work to think about, well, maybe I'm thinking about God uh, wrongly. He's the father of compassion. Did Peter demonstrate faith in this story? Is this a failure story or a success story? You have little faith, but he had faith. I mean, who gets out of a boat and tries to walk on water? Bartholomew didn't. Thaddeus didn't. Andrew didn't. James didn't. John didn't. Judas didn't. Thomas didn't. None of them did. Peter did. 
Like, that's amazing. And I think, I think Jesus recognized that. Like, Peter got out of the boat. And ultimately, Peter was going to be the one who Jesus said, you are leading my church when I leave. And so I kind of have a hard time picturing that Jesus is, like, disgusted and disappointed. How many of you maybe have seen The, have seen the Chosen? The Chosen is a TV series that documents the life of Jesus. There's been many of these made throughout the years, and it's kind of a dangerous thing to make them. I think The Chosen, the, I haven't watched a ton of it yet, but it's done, a, I think, a pretty good job. One of my questions when I heard about The Chosen was this. Does Jesus smile in that series? Like, I asked my friend, does he smile? If you remember, like, the first Jesus film, and... The, they have to decide timing, tone of voice, and body language because they're showing it. And in one of the Jesus films, I think maybe the most famous one, Jesus was just stern the whole time. And I was a youth pastor, like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, my dad wasn't stern the whole time, nor my mom. And, and Jesus is, is about, he tells us to be joyful and, and to love. And, and I think there's, I think he smiled a lot. I think he, in fact, he invented joy and laughter. So I think he would have showed it a lot. And, and you read the scriptures and you're like, man, I think that was pretty funny. But I don't know how he delivered that or what his eyes looked like when he delivered it. But it seems like it was pretty funny. I loved the... If you saw the Passion of the Christ and before the, the crucifixion scene, uh, there was a time where Jesus, I forget what he did, but he played a joke on his mom, or I think he, he did something where, I forget what it was, you can tell me, you remember, but he played a joke on his mom, and I'm like, yes, that's brilliant, because that's the Jesus I think is real. Like He would have he had fun in life. I mean, his first miracle was making a party a party, right? So, so uh, there was a, a kind of obscure Jesus film, I think it was called Matthew, that didn't, what didn't rise to the same popularity, but in it, Jesus smiled a lot. And I thought, yeah, watch that one. Well, in The Chosen, the, the, some that I've seen, Jesus smiles. And in this scene, it's very interesting that when, when he goes to save Peter, you see Jesus' hand go into the water, and he grabs him, and he clasps him, and he brings him tight. And the makers of the chosen chose to make this scene very intimate. He pulls Peter in, and he says in a very gentle but firm but compassionate voice, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And it's, he follows it up with more words of encouragement. And we're all guessing here, but I think, I think they did a pretty good job with that. I don't think it's disgust. I don't think it's anger. I don't think it's disappointment. I think it's, it's wow, you got out of the boat, but why did you doubt me, Peter? You were, on, you were doing so good. Like, trust me, trust me. We have, to, we have to sometimes really rewire our brains. And we have to know, I think, in this story, I've often read it as a failure story, but I think it's a success story. I want to close with this. The last part of that, that story, I want you to picture yourself. I mean, picture yourself in the whole place. The intensity of, in The Chosen, it's a very intense scene, which I think is true. Like, you're rowing through the night. It's four in the morning. There's waves. It's dark. All of a sudden, you see a figure, and you're terrified, and then it's Jesus, and then Peter gets out of the boat, and then, and then he drowns, and then he's saved, and then you're all in the boat, and then what happens? The lake becomes calm. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but you know it's three or four in the morning. The sun comes up, and, and they're all devoid of sleep. <laughs> so can you imagine the energy in the boat? Like, what just happened? Like, we saw one in the chosen one person says, this is the second greatest thing I saw today because they just saw 5,000 people get a food with two breads and, you know, breads and, and fish. And I imagine the boat, after everything became calm, there was just noise, talking, celebration, joy. 
And I think Peter really ended up being the hero. Yes, he didn't have enough faith, but he had faith. He got out of the boat. Peter, as we'll follow his story, was willing to speak first, to take that risk. And his words weren't always wrong, but often they were wrong. Peter was willing to take action, and his actions weren't always misguided, but sometimes they were misguided. But that's going to happen when you, when you decide to take action. And Peter made a lot of mistakes, and God placed him as the leader of his church. And in order to make mistakes, you have to be secure in the depths of God's love for you. That if you picture God as a stern, mostly angry father, you're going to be hesitant to do anything. But if God is actually the father of compassion that is cheering you on, you're going to be willing to go and try some things and get some things right and get some things wrong. In order to receive forgiveness, we have to be willing to change our beliefs and our actions. And we'll see Peter do that throughout his journey. How willing, how certain are you in the depths of God's love for you? How willing are you to move out of your comfort zone if God calls you to? What has God called you to in the past that has made you nervous? My experience is God's calling to me always makes me nervous. In the past, if you look back, it's okay to acknowledge your mistakes. What did you learn about yourself and about God? And in this season of your life, what might God be calling you to do that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, maybe, yeah, I got to talk to that neighbor. Ah, oh, you know, I haven't, I haven't volunteered for that yet. It seems like it might stretch me, but I just feel that nudge. I, I, need to, I need to do that. If God asks you to get out of the boat, are you ready? Are you convinced that God's mercy and compassion are ready for you? Thank you for listening. We hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with Christ and apply His words to your world. If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for a full worship service, which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 9.30 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.